You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore daddy. Well, I don't know about you, but I thought it was a pretty good game. Um, Again, kind of depends on what you wanted to get out of the game. Obviously, I can tell by some of the comments and whatnot. For some people, this is just like a regular season game. Like, I want to sit down, I want to watch the Packers just smash somebody. Um, I don't really have a whole lot for you today, because that's not what today's podcast is about, because that's not, I mean, that's not what the preseason is about, that's not what I was watching for. Um, I just, I don't know, there, was, there wasn't a whole lot of anger outside of disappointment for a lot of players that, you know, probably are not going to make the roster based on some pretty poor performance um, down the stretch, but... You know, early on, I thought the Packers looked fantastic. Same thing kind of happened against Houston. You know, early on, the defense looked great. Offense, not as much. Although, again, I think Jordan Love had a great day. But kind of go through a couple observations that I had. Um, Did go live yesterday, as I said I would. Thank you to those of you who were able to jump on with me. Um, I do stream on YouTube as well as in the Packernet Podcast Facebook page. So if you're around, again, make sure you're... um, Either subscribe to Pack Daddy NFL YouTube channel and hit the notification bar so you don't miss it, or do the same thing over at um, Packernet Podcast Facebook, whichever one you more frequently frequent, and make sure you've got the notifications because the more people there, the better. Basically, the whole time I stayed up a lot later than I expected, um, just conversing, and that's really what I want to do with that page is converse. Um, I sit here and talk to myself for an hour on the podcast. That's what the podcast is for. I don't want to do that a second time for the uh, the video stuff. So the more people over there throwing in comments, the better. But anyways, I was kind of hoping we would have at least some of the more advanced stats from PFF. I wanted to look at snap counts and that kind of stuff, but we'll have to save till tomorrow. Um, these guys are being ultra lazy. They don't even have the Bears stuff up yet. thought maybe they'd have some kind of an article out at least. with. They did have one article about snap counts, but it said um, Kurt Bankert had eight snaps, so I don't even know what they're referring to, because that's obviously not correct. He had like 25 passing attempts, so I don't even know what that article is. I don't know if they're struggling financially and they had to fire a bunch of people or what, but it's like, you know, I mean, maybe it's just because it's the preseason, but I don't, I, I don't know. Usually at this time, even if there's no grades out, they have an article with um, some of their early assessments, and you can kind of go through and see, you know, like, this guy did really well, this guy didn't, but whatever, that's fine. Um, I will give you my um, general impressions, having not been able to see what everybody did or uh, be able to give a lot of details about how much people played, et cetera, et cetera. I do want to get out a couple, well, you know what, let's start with the Bears. And again, I kind of talked about this yesterday. I basically feel about Justin Fields the exact same way I did after week one. And 
it's just that he looks fine, but there's nothing that I saw that makes me think, oh man, we're in trouble. And maybe it's just that his receivers are terrible and he's got nowhere to go with the ball. I don't know, but he didn't do anything special. I didn't see him do one thing that scared me. Very similar to last week. Um, and it just cracked me up with these Bear fans because, again, it's like I said yesterday on the, on the stream, I feel like Packers and Bears fans are in agreement on Justin Fields. We're both very happy with the pick so far. But I was absolutely cracking up when I think the guy had, I don't know how many incompletions in a row. Couldn't move the ball, couldn't get first downs, couldn't get completions. And then he, at one point, there's nobody there and the pocket collapses and he escapes and runs for a first down and Bears fans lost their mind. They were so excited. It's like, I don't know, man, if I'm a Bears fan, that doesn't get me excited. I know you're fast. By the way, most of those times he broke the pocket and ran for a first down, anybody, I could have run for a first down on that. There's nobody there. He doesn't need his blazing fast speed to be able to do that. But they were so excited, like, yeah, there he goes. It's like he he hasn't done anything quarterbacky yet. And Bears fans are cheering. But um, and again, I didn't I wasn't able to watch every single snap of every single play. I didn't really get to hear the audio, so I didn't hear how gushingly disgusting the announcers were, which um, I did hear one reference. I didn't hear all the others. But I I didn't see a single throw in which I thought, oh man, this guy's gonna be real good. I didn't necessarily see anything that was super terrible, which, you know, I'd like to be able to see that, but I, I don't, I mean, that's not Justin Fields' MO, right? He throws a ton of touchdowns and basically no interceptions in college. He's very careful with the football, um, those kinds of things. I think he's a generally accurate quarterback, so I don't know if you're going to get a ton of Mitch Trubisky terrible throw type things. Um, but I just, t- to date, I don't think I've seen a single throw in which I just thought, man, that was great. Basically, every completion that I can recall, he doesn't have pressure on him, and the receiver is open. Of all the contested, um, you know, when, when the defender's nearby, I don't remember any of those being caught. Now, the passes aren't terrible, but at the same time, if the defender's able to break it up, it was either an ill-advised pass or a bad throw. Because either you're not putting it where only your guy can get it, or there is nowhere to put it where, your guy can, where only your guy can get it, which means you shouldn't have thrown it. So I can't 100% just put that on the receiver saying, well, if he had better separation. Well, true, he's not open, so why'd you throw it? Well, maybe there's nowhere else to go. Yeah, maybe, I don't know. But I still have yet to see that great under pressure, falling away, throwing while falling, right into the outstretched arms of a guy who's got a defender draped all over him. I've never seen that throw from Justin Fields yet. I'm guessing at some point in his career he'll do it because just about everybody has at least once. But the bigger issue, again, is the, the gushing media, and I don't understand it. You don't see it with Zach Wilson at all. Not at all. Zach Wilson was taken second overall. Justin Fields was taken, what, 12th? Nobody is gushing about Zach Wilson. Basically, the tone and tenor of Zach Wilson is, I don't know, maybe he won't suck. Huh, that's weird. <laughs> Tre- Trevor Lawrence. I don't. I haven't heard any comparisons to Pat. I mean, granted, I haven't watched every snap of of all the the uh, the games, but this is one of the most hyped quarterback prospects, and I don't know how long. And they won't talk about him. They don't care about him. Trey Lance. I mean, it, I, granted, he hasn't played very well, but neither has Justin Fields. I had Jared jot down a couple things that the he heard the announcers say. This is the message he sent me on Twitter. He says, "I've heard them compare him to Mahomes, Vic, and Tyreek Hill." and that he is the most athletic guy on the field in the same game. I did hear the Mahomes reference. Maybe they said it more than once, but the Mahomes reference that I heard, 
He was under pressure. He got tripped up. He kept himself from falling down and launched the ball out of bounds. And they called him Patrick Mahomes for that, for stumbling and throwing the ball out of bounds. How stupid, how stupid can you be? Again, I... It feels like I'm being biased, but listen, I don't have anything negative to say about the Vikings. I haven't said anything negative about any other Bears players. I haven't said anything negative about the Lions. And I haven't necessarily even said anything bad about Justin Fields. It's not that he's a terrible player. It's just that the hype is stupid. Michael Vick, in what way is he Michael Vick? Because he runs? And again, those runs weren't even that impressive. He got further than most guys would get because he has more speed, but there was no... Vic type play where there's guys all around him and he just blasts out of there and he's somehow like he'd make himself look like a great running back and weaving and doing all there's nobody near him Aaron Rodgers would have done the exact same thing and got first downs on those exact same plays and uh, Tyreek Hill in what universe is he Tyreek Hill first of all different position second of all nowhere near as fast what 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 about him is Tyreek Hill And I didn't hear him say the most athletic guy on the field. I did hear them say he's probably the fourth most athletic guy on his team. But again, they could have said a lot of different things. I don't know. I think they said fastest. So it was probably a different reference. But I mean, all of this. And let's take a look. And by the way, remember, Andy Dalton got booed. They booed him and booed him and booed him because of how terrible he was. Justin Fields come out and Bears fans are cheering. And he's Pat Mahomes and he's Michael Vick and he's Tyreek Hill. Andy Dalton was 11 of 17, 146 yards, one touchdown, one interception, 86.9 passer rating. Justin Fields was 9 of 19 for 80 yards, no touchdowns, no interceptions, 59.1 passer rating. 59.1. This was significantly worse than his first outing, from a statistical standpoint anyways. So, I mean, he had a 4.2 yard average passing. We had, our our running game, I believe, was 4.2 yard average, rushing the ball. By the way, Andy Dalton, 8.6 yard average. Mitch Trubisky, which caps this whole thing off, 7.9 average. Davis Webb was 5 yard average. Basically, everybody was better than Justin Fields. Mike White's passer rating was an 84.7. Just, just, just below Andy Dalton, well above Justin Fields. <laughs> Jake Fromm, who was the third guy that came out for Buffalo, had a 50.3. The only guy of the five that had a worse passer rating than Justin Fields. And again, he's hailed. He's hailed. By the way, Mitch Trubisky, way better than Justin Fields on this particular day. 20 of 28, 221 yards, 7.9 average, one touchdown, no interceptions, 106.4 passer rating. He was by far the best quarterback on the field. Now, does that mean Trubisky's better than Fields? No. But is there any one thing that happened on that football field that tells you that Fields is better than Trubisky? No. But Bears fans and the media and everybody else is going to tell you that he is. Because he ran for some first downs and some of those throws seemed decent. You know, when he's, again, completely by himself and the receiver's open. Right? He's got four seconds to run around, find somebody, plant his feet, launch the ball to a guy who's got no defenders around him, and that guy catches it. Wow. Guess who else can do that? Every single quarterback that played in the preseason. Every single one of them. The absolute worst quarterbacks in the NFL can complete a throw 30 yards down the field to a wide open guy when there's zero pressure. Again, maybe he's going to be great. I don't know. But we haven't seen anything yet that tells me that that's going to be the case. Maybe when he gets his starting offensive line and he gets his better receivers out there and better running back 
and these guys can get open a little bit more and he operates within a system, maybe we start to see him get into a rhythm and he looks really good. I don't know. But I haven't seen anything yet. Nobody has. So the Pat Mahomes comparisons are ridiculous. These guys are making complete fools of themselves. It's absolutely unbelievable. And and at least for Bears fans, you kind of understand it because they're Bear fans, right? Packer fans get a little bit silly about some stuff sometimes, like with Kurt Bankert, which we'll talk about. But um, it's just it's just crazy to me. Bottom line is I've learned nothing so far about Justin Fields. I haven't learned a single thing. He's not terrible. He's not great. He's just kind of a guy out there trying to throw to guys. Sometimes that guy's open and he hits him. Sometimes that guy's not open and it's an incomplete pass. That's the full summary of Justin Fields in two preseason games. So do you feel more educated? Because I don't. <laughs> it's just it's just so silly. The whole thing is just absolutely silly. Anyways, we'll move off that. Um, as I was poking around on Twitter, because I don't know why, I just it's just sitting here. Um, this popped up. It's from uh, Shrihan, at Dots by Fitz. So there you go, whatever that means. He says, I don't think we're talking enough about how bad Jamar Chase tonight was, LOL. These are all the catches number five overall pick should make. It looks like he was playing scared of contact. There's a video of it. Um, it's actually from The Comeback is the original poster of it. Um, but there you go. The number five overall pick, Jamar Chase. And again, I'm just bringing it up for perspective because in some people's minds, everybody's great. Everybody's amazing. If we had drafted a quarter or a wide receiver, everything would be great. Everything would be amazing. Number five overall pick, the guy cannot catch to save his life. It's been nothing but negative reports about Jamar Chase. Maybe he'll get better. I don't know, but he's been terrible so far. First play is a simple slant route. Nobody around him anywhere hit him a little bit behind him, but it basically hit him in the chest and he dropped it. Second one, 100% is fear of contact. He's got a guy behind him, and he's got a safety right out in front of him. He sticks one hand out and pulls it back. He had alligator arms on that one. He didn't want to catch it. He put his hands down and looked at the guy coming at him. He got scared. By the way, that kind of mental fear, he might as well be broken. I don't, I don't know, man. I don't know how you overcome something like that. Announcer even called it. I, I paused it, and then I let it run out. The announcer called him out on that. He's like, oh, you got alligator arms, huh? Third play, exact same thing. It was out in front of him, put two hands out, should have caught it, should have been an easy catch, dropped it. So again, perspective. Anyways, all right, let's talk about the Green Bay Packers game. The first thing I want to bring up, there are a lot of people who are pumping up Kurt Benkert way too much. I mean, listen, there's a couple things at play here. Number one, the number three quarterback always gets overly pumped up. Tim Boyle was really never that good, but some people were just overwhelmingly obsessed with the guy. He was never that good of a quarterback, but we had to hear for years how great Tim Boyle was, and it's kind of like, all right, whatever, I guess. I don't know. Uh, Taysom Hill. Some people were... Now, granted, Taysom Hill was quite good. Now, he's a number three guy and all that kind of stuff, but I mean, considering the position he's in now is quite, quite... One of the few guys that actually is getting to the starter level and can compete to some capacity. Maybe he's not elite, but he's one of the number threes. And by the way, he's also one of the more hated number threes. People love to make fun of how people work. He's the only one that's ever done anything. <laughs> and now Kurt Benkert is in that role. But there's a second dynamic. The people that really hate the Jordan Love pick want Kurt Benkert to be so, so, so good. They want to say that he's better than Jordan Love. And some people are, are telling me that directly. Jordan Love better watch out. Kurt Banker's playing better than him. In no way 
has Kurt Banker done a better job than Jordan Love? Just to be completely clear, completely clear, against the Texans, Kurt Banker was 8 of 12, 88 yards and a pick, 53.5 passer rating. Against the Jets, um, Kurt Banker was 18 of 25, 151 yards, 6-yard average, 1 touchdown, 1 pick, 83.9 passer rating. Jordan Love, in his one outing, 12 of 17, 122 yards, 7.2 average, 1 touchdown, no interceptions, 110.4 passer rating. Kurt Bankert has never done anything to the level of Jordan Love. And again, Jordan Love had the most difficult outing of anybody that I've watched so far. No run game, no blocking, and had a hard time getting guys open, and he still was able to distribute the ball all over the field. If you think Kurt Bankert has been better than Jordan Love so far, I, I have no reason to trust any of your ability to evaluate anything. He's looked fine. I'm not trying to trash Kurt. He's looked fine. But again, we're getting into really silly territory, basically to the same level of Justin Fields. The only difference is you're not hearing comparisons to Mahomes and whatnot, but you are hearing things about how we have to keep him. We better keep him. He's so good. And Jordan Love might be a bust, so he might be better than Jordan Love. So we, we, we can't get rid of him because then we're stuck with Jordan Love, who's not as good as Kurt. You guys need to just chill out because you're all being a little silly. I mean, really, this, this is a, he was okay, but a, <laughs> an 83.9 passer rating ain't that good. 151 yards, a touchdown, and a pick. Again, looking at the Jets, Mike White, their, their second string quarterback. Did anybody think Mike White is basically a starting quarterback? Because he had a better passer rating. Zach Wilson, by the way, 9 of 11, 128 yards, two touchdowns, 154.7 passer rating. And again, going back to Justin Fields, how much hype is Zach Wilson getting, who's had two really, really, really good outings? Has anybody compared him to Pat Mahomes or Aaron Rodgers or Russell Wilson or, you know, I don't want to say Deshaun because you can take that in a couple different routes, but has anybody compared him to anybody that's halfway competent yet? I've heard nothing. 154.7 is basically a perfect passer rating. 158.3 is as good as it gets. He was 154.7. That is what a good outing looks like. Not 18 of 25, 151 yards, a touchdown, and a pick, 83.9 passer rating. So I like Kurt. He's better than expected. He does a good enough job, especially considering he was up against starters and we had backups in the whole nine yards. It was great. It was a, it was a fine outing. From a number three quarterback, cool, and he's a good dude. I like Kurt as a person, so having him hang around as the third quarterback is cool, but anybody who's pumping him up beyond it was a decent outing needs to just relax. And again, you've got those two things that are creating this perfect storm of silliness. And number one is some people just cannot help themselves from pumping up the number three quarterback. And somebody, I remember listening to that a while ago on a podcast. It's not just the Packers. It's like this weird phenomenon that happens with all fan bases. There's either a backup or a number three quarterback that everybody just obsesses with. And it's probably because the number three usually goes up against terrible competition and they look really good, and so everybody refuses to acknowledge that and just pretends that this guy's going to be some kind of elite quarterback. I don't know exactly, but just... So so that's number one. And then the the fairly large portion of the fan base that really hated the Jordan Love pick wants so badly for Kurt Banker to be better than Jordan Love so that we can just really just dig in um, with how trash Gutekunst is for making that pick, and we can really just hate the guy for that. So those two things are colliding and crashing into each other to create this perfect storm of, you know, Kurt Bankard is so good, we have to keep him. 
83.9 passer rating. Can we please calm down a little bit? It was fine. It was decent. It was also not super important because Kurt, I mean, Kurt is never going to be the starting quarterback of the Green Bay Packers, just like Tim Boyle never was, just like any of these guys. Could he possibly be Jordan Love's backup next year? Maybe. We're getting way ahead of ourselves here, but that's that's the best I can see is him being the number two. And again, I don't want to have to be this guy. I wish that I could just come out and be like, dude, Curry had a good day. But everybody's being so silly. I got to come in and be like, you guys are out of your mind. Absolutely out of your minds. I got people sending me articles about how great, and I think the term here was um, stellar play. Let's Google what stellar means. Featuring or having the quality of a star performer or performers. Stellar, star, you get it? Dealing with stars, guys like Aaron Rodgers and whatnot. The secondary meaning exceptionally good or outstanding. None of those definitions fit what Kurt Bankert did. Kurt Bankert did a good job. For a backup quarterback in that environment, did a good job. Stellar is a little silly. I mean, even Andy Dalton, I think, had a slightly better passer rating, and Andy Dalton was kind of terrible. <laughs> so it's it's kind of funny that we can watch Andy Dalton and go, ha ha, Dalton's trash, and then look at Kurt Bankert and be like, dude, this guy is amazing. Their stats are pretty similar. Um... Similar passer um, uh, completion percentage, similar yardage, um, one touchdown, one interception apiece. I mean, it's very similar. So anyways, those those are the two things that just kind of, of everything, I'm just, I'm rolling my eyes so hard that they're getting stuck down my throat. Calm down. The only thing I wanted to talk about before we go to the break um, Matt LaFleur and Kurt Benkert went to the podium. I listened to most of both of them. I didn't really get anything super interesting out of it. However, um, since I'm already seemingly in kind of a grouchy mood for some reason, I don't I don't know what else to say. And I've I've said it a million times now, and I just I don't know I don't know what to do about this. I like believing that Packer fans have great fans. And I don't want to be mean because I'm talking about someone's grandma and someone's grandpa and, you know, little kids and people that somehow don't know better. I don't know how you've been going to Lambeau Field for 50 years and nobody's explained to you how to help the team win. But it's, it's straight up embarrassing at this point. It really is. And I'm, I'm, I'm actually grateful that it seems like Bears, Vikings, and Lions fans and just fans in general that don't like the Packers haven't figured this out yet. Because if they really wanted to trash the Packers, this would be their biggest one. And I know I have Bears and Vikings fans for sure listening, probably some Lions fans. You want to know how to get at Packer fans? It's real simple. Packer fans do the wave while the Packers are on offense. Packer fans on a critical third down are screaming, go Pack, go. And the quarterback has to like you know, wave his arms, like telling them to be quiet, and they don't. They get louder. And on defense, they all sit down, and if you stand up and cheer, they shush you, unless it's a third down. But again, the game I went to, basically on third, it would be third and 10, and nobody would stand up until right before they snap the ball. But if you stand up otherwise, you're, you're in big trouble, and they're going to shush you and tell you to sit down. So if, if the defense is out there and it's first and 10, and you want to stand up and make a bunch of noise and scream to help your defense, they're going to be mad at you. I'm not going to say general IQ. I'm sure there's doctors and lawyers and brilliant people that go to Packer games. But football IQ has to be hovering around a 50 for Packer fans. It's just, it's beyond unacceptable, annoying, ridiculous. 
pathetic. I'm not, you know, and listen, kids don't know any better. So obviously there's kids there. It's a fun family environment. They're just playing along. I'm sure I did it when I went when I was a kid. I didn't know. But we have people that go to these games. And, and, and the problem is, and I think it's just the way that this is set up, with so many people that um, have had season passes, they've been going for 50 years, they live in Green Bay, and they've built a culture there. And they've built a culture that started probably in the 50s. And that culture just stays stays there. And they feel like this is their home and they set the rules and they're going to tell you and they get so annoyed about these young people that buy tickets and they come in here and they don't know the rules. And the rules are you sit down and you be quiet. And when the wave comes through, you do the wave. And they're barely even paying attention to the game, apparently. And when, when they, they think they're at home. So on third down, when everybody at home is screaming, let's go, let's go, let's go. They think that they should be screaming, yay, yay, yay. Let's go pack, go pack, go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rah, rah, rah. No, you have an obligation when you go there. I know, I paid my ticket. Fine. You paid your ticket to what? Do you want them to win or not? Because you play an actual critical role in the success of the Packers and the home field advantage of the Packers. The Packers many years ago had to start a Get Loud Lambo campaign because you guys are so freaking quiet. One of the largest stadiums, supposedly one of the greatest fan bases in all of, of sports, and they actually have to get out a campaign to get you to make noise when the Packers are on defense. And, and you know, it's a critical, say, third down, fourth down goal line situation. And they need the crowd to be very loud to disrupt the other team's offense. And they actually have to get it all over the, the, the whatever you call it, the jumbotron thing to, to, to inform you to please make noise because you're very quiet and you're not helping our team at all. That's embarrassing. You look at the Seattle Seahawks. And, and the Kansas City Chiefs and these other massive stadiums, the, the amount of noise in some of these stadiums is, it'll make your ears bleed. Minnesota. And we have to have people put stuff up on the jumbotron begging people to please get up and make noise. And for the most part, they won't. Maybe, you know, again, on a third down, they'll eventually get up and they'll clap or they'll stay in their seat and they'll clap begrudgingly. I don't know, but it's I, I don't know, shouldn't have to be begged, and there, there should be, it should be known as one of the loudest and most raucous stadiums anywhere, just based on capacity and everything else, and it just doesn't happen. And again, when our team is on offense, your job is to sit down and be quiet. It's the one time you get your way. And you shouldn't have to sit down, but be quiet. There's no doing the wave. You shouldn't do the wave at all. You know, if you want to do the wave, fine. Wait until they're doing like a field goal. Right? Do the wave. That that should that should be a custom. You know, like in basketball where they have these certain things that people do, whether it's counting or whatever the case is. When the other team kicks a field goal, you do the wave. And you could just have the wave go back and forth, right? That would be kind of funny. Go back and forth in that sort of section over there. That'd be kind of a cool custom. Doing the wave when our team's on offense is a problem because it's distracting. You're distracting your own team while they're trying to play. If you want to goof around, and, and be distracting and, and not really pay attention to the game and, and do silly little games outside, stay home. Stay home and play silly games with your family in your backyard. And just put the game on the radio in the background if you're just bored and looking for silly little fun things to do. It's unbelievable that, that again, you have our coach, and he's done this now like three or four times, go to the podium and be like, yeah, we, we got to kind of get him to stop doing that. They keep doing the wave on offense. They keep cheering and chanting, go pack, go, when we're on offense. And they're not making really any noise when we're on defense, which is when we need the noise. I swear, people are trying to go and make the team lose. Well, it's just preseason. So what? Why are you doing it? It'd be like if you're randomly booing your team. Like, I don't know, it's just a custom we do. Well, it's just preseason. Don't boo your team. 
Don't do the wave. I, I, don't, I don't understand what to do. Maybe they just need to have, like, before games, Matt LaFleur and Aaron Rodgers and whatnot because, you know, granted, a lot of the older people that, again, have been going there for 50 years are probably not hanging out on Twitter. Maybe they're not on YouTube watching Matt LaFleur's press conferences. They just have fun going to Packer games, and they're not really tuned into these things. You need to have them go out there in the middle of the field, as embarrassing as it's going to be with the other team there who's going to be laughing at us, and it's probably going to be nationally broadcast and everybody's going to laugh at us. It's probably going to be worth it. Have them go out to the middle of the field, get everybody's attention, Matt LaFleur, Aaron Rodgers, all the people that the fans probably care about, and say, okay, listen, guys, you're not allowed to do the wave. It's distracting and it's going to cause us to lose. You cannot, cannot cheer. The more quiet you can be when we're on offense, the better. It should be deadly silent in here when we're on offense. You should be able to hear a pin drop. People outside of the stadium, still grilling out in the parking lot, should be able to hear Aaron Rodgers' cadence. And when we're on defense, you should be on your feet, you should be stomping and clapping and screaming and making all kinds of noise, and don't stop until our defense is off the field. Don't wait until third down, don't wait until big situations. You get on your feet, you stay on your feet, you make as much noise as you possibly can. I don't care how you're making noise, you make noise. Do not sit down, do not stop. It is the entire time. You are sending all the energy you have to our defense and doing everything you can to distract their offense so they can't hear a single thing. Because guess what? Third down isn't the only important down. You know how you get them to third down? By stopping them on first and second down. This is your job. This is your assignment. If you want to participate in helping this team win, you get the great, distinct opportunity right here, right now, to help this team actually win, to actually participate in a Packers win, not just sit on a bleacher and watch it, to participate and help the team win, to give this team the best home field advantage in all of sports, to be the best fans in all of sports. You get a distinct opportunity along with the other 70-some-odd thousand people that are in the stands to make this actually happen, to actually participate, just like the guys on the field are participating. You're participating in this game, not just watching it. But those are the things that you are required to do. And if you don't want to do it, stop showing up. Stop coming to Packers games if you don't want to participate. Or at the very least, just don't make it a problem. If you're elderly or whatever and you can't stand up and you don't want to scream, maybe you have a throat issue, I don't know what the problem is. You, at the very least cannot participate in the wave, and you cannot cheer while we're on offense. And you are absolutely not allowed to tell people to sit down and be quiet when our defense is on the field. If you can do those things and you just want to sit there and watch the back of people's shirts while they stand up and cheer, by all means, please go ahead. If you don't want to participate in helping them win, at the very least, do not participate in actively helping our team lose. That should be extremely straightforward. It is such an unbelievable embarrassment that we have such, let's be honest, terrible fans. Who else in sports does this? Who else in any sport, any fans of any team in any sport, actively tries to help their team lose because they're simply there just airheadedly, oh, we're having a great time, go Pack Go, right guys? Ooh, let's do the wave. What is wrong with you? We're just having fun, stay home. Stay home and have fun with your family. You can do the wave on your couch. It'll cost you a lot less money, and you'll, you won't be a detriment to our own team. Absolutely unbelievable, and I'm so sick of it. Stop it. Stop it. Stop doing that. If you're doing that, you have to stop it. Honestly, I mean, if, if, if you're one of those people, please 
reach out to me and tell me why you're doing this. Tell me why it's your right. Explain it to me. Help me to understand why you need to do that, why you need to actively hurt the Green Bay Packers, why you pay money to drive to the stadium and help them lose. Explain this to me because I don't get it. It's just unbelievable. Well, I didn't know. Fine, you didn't know. That's why, again, right before every single game, there needs to be an announcement. And every single television in the whole place needs to turn off whatever it is and turn on the field, and the volume needs to be cranked up so everybody in the bathroom, at concessions, everybody can hear. And everybody needs to have their attention. I need everybody's attention. Listen to me. Stop what you're doing. Set down the $19 beer and listen to me. This is critically important. Shouldn't have to do this, but here we are. And you lay out the rules, and there you go. And you should have ushers in the stands who are, you know, the guys that are there to break up fights and all that stuff. If anybody's doing the wave, you scold them, you reprimand them. I don't care at halftime, have the coach go out again and be like, listen, I told you not to do the wave. If you're seen doing the wave, we're going to escort you out. I know you probably can't do that, but I'm serious. Anybody seen doing the wave, we're going to start kicking you out. Anybody seen cheering, we're going to have ushers come down and say, excuse me, can you please keep it down? You're not allowed to cheer right now. They're on offense. You're distracting our offense. You need to be quiet. If you're going to keep being a disruption to the Green Bay Packers and their ability to win the game, we're going to ask you to kindly pack your stuff and get out of the stadium. Stop it. <sighs> I just, and again, it's just because it's, it's year after year. It's, it's been forever. This is just the custom customs of the Packers, and apparently some people feel like they're just entitled. And I, I just am dumbfounded. I don't want to hear anybody talk about how this is the greatest fan base. In, no, it's not. It's absolutely not. The greatest fan base in the world actively tries to help their team lose? No. Sorry. We don't get that title. Somebody else gets it, but it ain't us. Talk to me when we're the loudest stadium in football. Talk to me when the, the, you don't see the wave anymore, and it, you can hear a pin drop the way uh, Manning made it in Indy. When they were on offense, you didn't hear a whisper in that stadium. It was eerie how quiet it was in there, because the, the people in the stands understood they had an obligation. Anyways, hey, all right, PFF kind of updated a bunch of stuff. So um, we'll come back from the break. We'll go through um, go through kind of what everybody else did, my certain thoughts, um, but also with a little bit more backing. I'm just, I'm just peeking at the grades right now. I'm so excited. <laughs> I'm just, uh, but we'll take a break, and we'll come back, and we'll talk about some really, 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 really good things. Oh, wait, 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 wait one, one thing. Hi, how are you? Welcome back. Special thank you to uh, Matthew Herbert for jumping in on Patreon. I really, really do appreciate that. Palmer Home for Children, if you want to support that charity. Um, And then two other real quick things. I did decide I'm going to do a third fantasy football league. Um, I just, I don't know why, it's just been weighing on me that there's so many people that probably want to do it and they can't get in. Um, And so I'm going to do a third one, but that's it. After that, we're done. So pay attention for that. Uh, I don't know when that's going to happen, but just, it's going to be there in Patreon. Just be ready for it. Also, um... We are giving away a signed Zadarius Smith jersey. I posted it in the Facebook group and on Twitter. All the rules. Get over to Instagram. Follow the Instagram. Tag three people. Something, something, something. Also, I did. there is a requirement to sign up at Pristine Auction, who was the guys that we're going to be working with. That is not going to be a requirement every time. But once in a while, we are going to ask you to do that just because, I mean, the success of the campaign is entirely dependent on people signing up. So we are going to ask once in a while for a little bit of a return on all of the stuff that we're going to be giving away. And it's some really awesome stuff. Again, a signed Zadarius Smith jersey is going to be given away. Uh, So go check out the details for that. And um, 
get you a signed jersey. As far as I know, maybe like five people have done it so far. So your odds of getting in, I only know honestly of one, but I know some people have followed us on Instagram. I haven't followed up with it. Very few people are invested in that. You have a very high probability of winning at this point. So uh, check it out. But we'll take a break and we'll be right back. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So again, the the plan today was just to kind of go through, so I don't want to get super into everything PFF said, but um, I do want to continue on uh, with some of the things that we saw with a little bit more backing, I guess you would say, from what PFF had to say. First of all, once again, Justin Fields graded out as average, which again is exactly how I felt about his performance. It was fine. 64.8 overall. So he had a 64 overall grade in week one, 64.8 in week two perfectly exactly average, which is exactly what I said he was. Week one, I said I thought he was pretty average. He graded out as average. Week two, I said he looked pretty average. He graded out as average. The difference, though, the major difference, week one, he had a 70 passing grade, but a 47 rushing grade. This week, 77 rushing grade and a 57.4 passing grade, which again, just like I said, the only thing he really did well was run. So he averaged out the same, but really he was a good passer and a bad runner week one, a bad passer and a good runner week two. He did have two big-time throws, uh, and again, one turnover-worthy play, so that kind of factored into things. Again, it's time to throw 3.63, which is just unheard of. He's averaged in two games 
3.69 seconds to throw the, before he throws the ball. That doesn't happen in the NFL. That can't happen in the NFL. By the way, Justin Fields' grade in under 2.5 seconds is a 55.7 in this past week. He was 3 of 8 for 17 yards. That was his full performance in, in, when he didn't have more than 2.5 seconds, which is generally when most quarterbacks have to unload the ball. 3 of 8 for 17 yards. Everything else that you saw from Justin Fields was when the play got extended. So... Again, I, I'm not going to go on Twitter because Bear fans are going to have a meltdown. They can continue to cheer and get excited. I don't really care. I'm, I'm, Again, we're both content. Bears fans are so excited. They think he looks great. I'm so excited because he looks completely mediocre to me. Uh, Kurt Benkert, 72 overall grade. So again, he did have a good day. Um, his passing grade, however, was an 83.7. It was quite high. Just his rushing grade was terrible. So again, this was uh, not quite where Jordan Love was, but it was a good performance. Two big-time throws which accounted for 7.4% of his throws being big-time throws. I think, let me see if they define it here. I know I used to know what it was. Uh, BTT, where are you? So it says, a pass with excellent ball location and timing generally thrown further down the field and or into a tighter window. Those are considered big-time throws. They said Kurt had two of them and uh, zero turnover-worthy plays. Um, Continuing on with sort of general stats here, um, looking at the running backs, Patrick Taylor, eight carries, 48 yards, six yard average. Kylan Hill, seven carries, 29 yards, 4.1 average. AJ Dillon, four carries, 28 yards, uh, seven yard average. Dexter Williams, eight carries, 22 yards, 2.8 average. Not fantastic there. But again, as I said, well, I keep saying again, I said it yesterday. If you weren't there, then it's not again. Um, I think Dexter, if he made a name for himself, and I'm not feeling super optimistic, but his returns were fantastic. He's the only guy that I've seen that consistently looked solid as a returner. I know a lot of people say Begleton. I think he had one good return. And, and as I said yesterday, I just, something about the way he runs, he's very tall and lanky and a very upright runner. I just don't think that's going to be very successful, but he had a good return. Um, and then Benkert and Amari Rogers had a, a run, which didn't really amount to much. But looking at rushing grades, and this is very, very exciting. Um, maybe not as much for everybody, but uh, we do so, for example, Dexter Williams' rushing grade was a 42. That sucks. Sucks a lot for Dexter. Patrick Taylor was a 48, probably largely, even though I really love the way that the guy runs, the fumble really hurt him, right? Six-yard average, obviously, is not a problem. Um, but I think number one, and I don't know exactly what accounts for this um, this grade necessarily, but number one, he had some massive holes to run through, and then again, the fumble wasn't great. Mari Rogers on his one attempt had a 65 overall grade. A.J. Dillon, 70 overall grade, five yards per carry after contact, (laughs) because obviously. He actually tied with Kylan Hill, by the way, but we'll get to that. Uh, One missed tackle force, one carry over 10 yards, two first downs out of four, which is incredible, and an 83.3 elusiveness grade. By the way, Amari Rogers' elusiveness, even though it was just one attempt, 160, so quite elusive. Um, Kurt Bankert, did not, oh, he had a 29 rushing grade, 72 overall, but 29 overall running grade. The biggest one, though, the highest graded of all of them. So the the highest actual rushing grade that I've mentioned so far is a 69.4, which is A.J. Dillon. Kylan Hill, 91.8 overall grade, 91.4 rushing grade. So he only had 4.1 yards per attempt, but PFF watched what he did and said that this guy was phenomenal. And again, a lot of it comes back to a couple different things. First of all, 4.1 yard average, five yards per carry after contact. So his 4.1 yards per carry were based on basically negative yardage at first contact. 
five yards per carry after contact. Now, that's not necessarily how that works. It could have just been, you know, one of his biggest runs after contact, although his longest was only 12 yards. But that's incredible. Five. Only seven carries. He had five missed tackles forced. There were only eight total in this game. Nobody else had more than one. He had five. 12 yards was his longest run. That tied the longest run with Patrick Taylor. One carry over 10 yards. Again, nobody had more than 10, so he tied for the most with that. So he tied with most carries forced, or excuse me, yards after contact, way more than anybody with missed tackles forced, tied the longest carry, uh, tied carries over 10 yards, also added two targets, two receptions, uh, 11 yards, 72 overall receiving grade. His elusiveness ranking, 277.8. Now, I I don't know exactly how you quantify these things, but generally people don't get over 100. So Amari Rogers at 160 is quite high. A.J. Dillon at 83.3. That's not a bad number, but for A.J. Dillon, it's quite low. He usually is, is way higher. He was one of the highest last year. Um, Kylan Hill, 277.8. Just for reference, of guys that played a decent amount, the second highest elusiveness ranking last year was Tony Pollard with 89.2. Nick Chubb is the only one over 100, and he had 130. Just to give you some idea of how the elusiveness thing works. A.J. Dillon's not in that group because he didn't run the ball enough to be ranked with those guys. So Kylan Hill, I don't know if he was the highest graded of anybody. Let me double check. I haven't looked at the defense yet. Yeah, so he is the highest graded player of the entire team, only one of two that had an elite grade. Fantastic outing. Um, Looking at receiving now, Malik Taylor, four uh, receptions, 66 yards. Amari, four receptions, 31 yards. Reggie, two receptions, 15 yards. Dylan, two receptions for 12. Kylan, two for 11. Patrick, one for seven. Patrick Taylor, that is. Jay Sternberger, two for five. Crawford, one for four. Dexter Williams, 0 for one. As far as just receiving grades, again, Dexter was real low, 27.6 receiving grade. Jay Sternberger was next lowest at 49.5, largely because of drops. Patrick Taylor, 56. Reggie Begleton, 56. Daniel Crawford, 57. Amari Rogers with a 62, so coming in with our first guy being average. A.J. Dillon with a 68.7, Malik Taylor 71.6, and again, Kylan Hill, our highest graded receiver, 72.1. Um, as far as the slot is concerned, Amari Rogers actually was out of the slot a little bit more, 73% for him. Jay Sternberger was in the slot about 40% of the time, Reggie Begleton 25%, and Malik Taylor about 18%. Nobody else was in the slot at all. As far as guys playing in line, obviously Jason Daniel Crawford were the most. Amari Rogers did get one snap in line, though, so they're still utilizing him in that capacity. Yards after the catch per reception, Patrick Taylor with 11. He led uh, that. Yards per route run, A.J. Dillon by far the best with six yards per route run. Deep threat as far as average depth of target, Reggie Begleton, 22.5 yards, Malik Taylor, 13. The three drops registered in this game, Malik Taylor, Jay Sternberger, and Dexter Williams. Uh, Contested catches, there were only a few of them, Malik Taylor, Caught three of four, so 75%, which is incredibly high, and Reggie Begleton was 50-50, caught one of two. The only missed tackle force was by Amari Rogers, and looking at passer rating when targeted, Patrick Taylor a 2.8, which is horrible. Reggie Begleton was a 19.8, also terrible. Dexter, 39, terrible. Daniel Crawford, 83. Kylan Hill, 89.6. A.J. Dillon, a 91.7. Amari Rogers a 92.5, Jay Sternberger a 109.7, and Malik Taylor a 118.8. We'll dig in a little more on snap counts probably tomorrow because we're buttoning up against time a little bit here. Uh, Looking specifically at the offensive line and how they performed, um, statistically speaking, we gave up one sack, and that was by Koi Kronk. 
Um, zero hits and two hurries. Both of those hurries were given up by Ben Braden. As far as true pass sets, which I still, it, it's hard to contextualize what that is. It's it's meant to be more like, what did you give up in a normal passing situation, whatever. The, the only thing that was given up was one hurry by Ben Braden. But uh, just looking at pass blocking grades, Koi Kronk, 3.9. So that's horrific. He had a zero pass blocking grade in true pass sets. So literally as bad as you can get. By the way, John Runyon also had a zero in true pass sets, 42.2 overall pass blocking grade. A.J. Dillon with a 26.9, which is horrible. Jacob Capra with a 60.8. Royce Newman, 63.1. By the way, Jacob and Royce graded out very well in this game, but pass blocking was sort of so-so. Patrick Taylor with a 68. Jace with a 69, which is great to see. Ben Braden, 71. Kylan Hill with a 73, which is fantastic for a guy that had such a great day to also do a really good job pass blocking is fantastic. Um, He only had one attempt, but it's still fine. Lucas Patrick, 74. Josh Myers, 75, uh, 75-ish. Yash Neiman, Nyman, whatever, 76. Jake Hansen, 79. And then Cole Van Lannen came in as our best pass blocker with an 82.9. If we flip over to run blocking... um, Kind of don't care about most of these guys. The tight ends did not do very well. Malik Taylor, 34 run blocking grade. Jace Sternberger, 54. Uh, John Runyon was a 58, so that's not great. Uh, Kurt Benkert, get out of here. <laughs> Let's see. Patrick Taylor surprisingly actually had um, a couple blocking opportunities, but just a basic 60. Daniel Crawford at tight, tight end was a 60. Reggie Begleton was a 61. Amari Rogers, uh, 61. Ben Braden, 64. Jake Hansen, 65. Cole Van Lannen, 66. Lucas Patrick, 67. Kalfusi with a 71, which is great to see for a tight end. Yash with a 76. Josh Myers, 76.4. You love to see that. Royce Newman with a 77. Koi Kronk with a 79. So horrific pass blocking. Second best run blocker. And Jacob Capra with an 89.4 overall run blocking grade. They actually break it down into uh, gap and zone, not surprisingly. Almost all our guys are better zone blockers than gap blockers, with the exception of Bron- uh, Bronson Kalfusi. But uh, in zone blocking, Capra actually had a 90 overall grade. So um, obviously the run blocking was much better in this game, and it kind of showed. Finally, we'll switch over to the defense. Again, I don't want to get super in-depth, but the defense did not grade out super well. Only three players had a 70 overall grade or higher. Those three guys were, first of all, good news, Kingsley Kiki. Secondly, Jack Heflin, who, again, no idea where he came from, but he's just been, he's just one of those really good players, you know, obviously. And then number one, the only guy to get an 80 was Josh Avery. Now, he only played five snaps at defensive tackle, but still worth noting. That was it. Nobody else had a 70 overall. But um, again, as far as statistics are concerned, nine pressures in this game, one for Kamal Martin, one for Willington Pavilion, one for Carlo Kemp, one for Kingsley Kiki, which is actually pretty solid considering the guy had only eight attempts. By the way, Carlo Kemp also with six attempts. Jonathan Garvin, one at, uh, 16 attempts, one pass rush. Jack Heflin, two pressures on 13 attempts. <laughs> what the heck, dude? And then uh, TJ Slayton had two pressures on 17 attempts, which is quite incredible. Um, the one sack in this game was TJ Slayton. I was waiting as soon as that happened for my phone to blow up and be like, what? I thought the dude couldn't pass rush. What's up? But um, awesome to see. And then hurries, there were uh, one, two, three, four, five. We won't go through it because it's the same guys. Um, tackles. Henry Black led with five. I think ESPN only gave him four, but they said he had five. 
in his gains with four, I thought he did a really good job. He didn't grade out very well, but as far as hitting a couple guys, he had some... See, and this, again, is one of those things where if it wasn't for PFF, I'd be like, I thought he had a good game. You cleaned some people's clocks. He had a 40 overall grade, so not great um, from their perspective. 45 snaps, I'm looking at two tackles that he had. Um, and then, you know, I don't know, a bunch of other tackles here. Um, missed tackles. KBN Ento with three missed tackles. That's pretty terrible. Ray Wilborn, Jonathan Garvin, Innes Gaines, and Kamal Martin each had one missed tackle. As far as missed tackle percentages, Jonathan Garvin's one missed tackle was his only tackle attempt, so he missed 100%. Ray Wilborn, 50%. Kabian, 43%. Kamal, 25 and Innes Gaines, 14%. Uh, run stops, there were actually a ton, so they did a great job of, of tackles that meant a lot. Uh, guys that had one, Henry Black, Ento, Summers, Shamar, Chris Barnes, uh, Dijon Harris, Jack Heflin, Isaac Yadam, Tipagalea, Josh Avery, Ray Wilborn. Uh, Willington Pavilion had two, Delonte Scott had two, Isaiah McDuffie had two, and TJ Slayton with three. Looking at coverage, obviously we gave up a ton. Zach Wilson was um, kind of tearing it up a little bit. Um, the only guys that, I mean, nobody gave up more than two receptions. So, it, you know, I'm not going to go through the whole list because there are quite a few of them, but nothing super terrible. The As far as yardage, um, Innis Gaines gave up the most. So he, he had two receptions for 28 yards. That was the most anybody gave up. So not a terrible day for any one person. Um, Innis Gaines also gave up a touchdown. That's why he got picked on so much. <laughs> he gave up the most receptions. He gave up the most yards. And he's one of two people that gave up a touchdown. Ty Summers was the other guy that gave up a touchdown. Um, there was only one pass breakup in this game. That was Eric Stokes. You love to see it. Um, passer rating when targeted. Four guys were over 100. Henry Black, Oren Burks, Innis Gaines, and Ty Summers. Ty Summers, 158.3. So he was not stellar in coverage by any stretch of the imagination. Um, we'll do a couple highlights here. Um, run defense, guys that graded out well, Josh Avery, Yadam, Ty Summers, Chris Barnes, Jack Heflin, Henry Black. Uh, pass rush only, yeah, we'll do two. Jack Heflin with a 70 and Kingsley Kiki with an 83 overall grade. Very, very impressive. Coverage, you had three guys, Shamar, Tippa, and Ray Wilborn graded out really well in, uh, in coverage. And because I'm sure some of you guys are very, very curious where Eric Stokes ranked, he had a 63 overall grade. He graded out fine, 62 in coverage, 72 tackling, 60 in run defense. Um, so average outing for him. But he only played 12 snaps again. So again, they're not giving him a lot of opportunities out there. And then real quickly, we'll look at special teams. Um, guys that did a terrible job, Isaiah McDuffie and Dijon Harris. I'm actually surprised. McDuffie's the one guy that I saw made a play on that first kickoff, but again, he had 15 opportunities. I saw one where he did well. Guys that did a good job, Kamal Martin, Carlo Kemp, and Jonathan Garvin are the three that got um, got praise. And this is on kick return, kick coverage, those kinds of things, not necessarily returns and whatnot. We'll get to that right now. Looking at return grades, Reggie Bagleton, 67, Dexter Williams, 63, Amari Rogers, 60, Kylan Hill, 59. As far as the statistics, Reggie Begleton, two returns, 35 yards, 17.5 average, 28 yards was his longest. Dexter Williams on kickoff returns, two returns, 53 yards, 32 was his longest, 26.5 average. I mean, he didn't grade out well, but 26.5 average is, is you just want to find a guy that can average more than 25 which is actually quite rare. Most guys can't do it, which is why everybody takes a knee in the end zone, which is also why most guys, most teams try to kick it to about the one yard line. 
because they want to force guys that can't run 25 yards to make it past the 25, and most of the time they can't. So if you get a guy that's averaging 26, it was only two attempts, but he's averaging 26, that's pretty solid. And then Amari, one return, negative one yard, that's terrible. Kylan, one kickoff return for 12 yards. And then kicking grades, uh, J.K. Scott, 60 overall grade, so average, which again, most of these kickers are average. J.J. Molson had a 60 overall grade, Mason Crosby, 62-3. Um, Crosby just nailed two of two extra points is all he came out to do. J.J. Molson, uh, he did the kickoffs, three attempts, 65 yards, nobody cares. J.K. Scott, four attempts, 163 yards, he averaged 40.8. His net was 40.3. His longest was 51 yards. Um, he kicked one inside the 20. Only one was returned for two yards. He kicked one out of bounds. Two of them were fair caught, and his hang time was 4.6, which is just otherworldly. So everybody's mad at J.K. Scott. Everybody says he's going to leave. I understand one of the punts was short, but, I mean, you got a guy that had a 51-yard kick, and his average hang time was 4.6. That ain't bad. I get that he's not doing good enough, and it's the inconsistency, um, as was pointed out yesterday, is really his biggest thing. It's not that he doesn't have good punts. It's that it's that one in four that's just like, what the heck was that? I get that that's the main problem, but I mean, again, the calls for his head, it's just its just not going to happen because if we go out and get somebody else, they're going to be significantly worse. They're going to be more inconsistent and they don't have the upside that J.K. Scott has. So, I mean, you can keep screaming about it, but I just, I don't think it's going to happen. So, you know, whatever. Anyways, man, I, again, it was a good day. Great. The offensive line came through. Kylan looked fantastic. Um, again, defense didn't have the greatest outing, but but the Jets, you know, I'll use the caveat that they had most of their starters out there. There are some people who are really angry at, at you know the performance of the defense. It's it's the Jets starting offense against our th- like third string guys. I mean, it's not a reflection of your defense when it's literally not our defense. It's not. Our defense is Amos and Savage and Jair and either King or Stokes and Kingsley Kiki and uh, Kenny Clark and Zadarius and Rashawn and Preston. And none of those guys plays with the exception of four snaps by Kiki. That is our defense, and those guys didn't play. Some of our linebackers did a little bit. The uh, Campbell didn't play, and um, Barnes just played a handful of snaps. Lowry, I don't think, played. Sullivan didn't play. Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon and DeGuara. Well, Dillon did a little bit. DeGuara and Jones and Rodgers and Tunyon and Lewis and Billy Turner and Elton Jenkins and David Bakhtiari and MVS and Devontae Adams and Randall Cobb and Alan Lazard and Devin Funches. They didn't play. This is not our football team. So again, getting upset about the fact that we lost and the way that they played. Yeah, I mean, if you took our backups and turned them into an NFL team, they wouldn't be great. I, I, don't, I can't imagine that would be stunning news to you, but whatever. Anyways, I got to get going. You folks have yourselves a fantastic Sunday. I will talk to you tomorrow. We'll dive into some things a little bit deeper. Have a good one and goodbye.